And Satan is behind every sin. Satan is behind every act of rebellion. Satan is behind every family feud. Satan is behind every world war. And he pulls the strings of unsaved people as if they were puppets, doing what he wants them to do. Receiving Jesus Christ in the heart makes us free from Satan's strings. Well, the last five Sundays, we've talked on this subject, getting to know our wonderful God. And we've learned all kinds of things about God. He is wonderful in every way possible. And these wonderful ways of God all seem to have a good positive impact on our lives here on earth. Well, today, we could say it's part six, I suppose. But today, we want to talk about the presence of the Lord when God is present in your life. I was an eight-year-old boy in 1964 when America experienced something that changed their nation forever. And it was called Beatlemania. Now, for those who do not know what Beatlemania is or was, it's when the rock group, the Beatles, came to America. The group consisted of John, Paul, George, and Ringo, and America was never the same after that visit. I have a picture. Put that picture up, would you please? That is a picture taken on the day as they stepped off the Pan Am airplane in America for the very first time. Now, the Beatles were greeted at the JFK uh, airport in New York by 3,000 screaming fans who almost caused a riot. The Beatles appeared on the popular Ed Sullivan TV show where 73 million people or estimated 40% of the American population watched them sing on Ed Sullivan TV show. Now, I wasn't there but I did watch on TV. Uh, we had live TV then, and I watched them sing on TV. I had never seen men with long hair. A picture up there, that what you're looking at, the Beatles came with the, what was called bowl cuts, and we had never seen that. We, we shaved our heads pretty close. I mean, that was a popular haircut for boys back in the 60s, we would wash our hair with a washcloth. When we saw these guys with their hair down into their ears, we'd never, I had never seen that before. I'd never seen men with long hair before. Now the audience uh, that day, you can put that picture away now, guys, okay? Unless you really like it. But the audience of the, uh, of the Ed Sullivan show on that day in 1964 was mostly made up of young girls. Could they scream? They screamed so loud that we could hardly hear what the, the Beatles were singing. They'd be having their mouths open and playing their instruments, but all we could hear were the screams of the young girls. Now, I don't know, maybe they put some of those girls up to that kind of thing, but it was crazy. And I remember... Uh, hearing about the New York police, how they had to, they were out in full force and they had to close off streets to help uh, c 
control the, the, the crowds of people. There were thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of people out in the streets. And they had to be very careful of uh, riots. Now, my point is, because of the presence of the Beatles in America, the impact that had on the music industry was so great, it's almost beyond measure. It was unbelievable. The presence of the Beatles in America became a catalyst for the young generation of people of the 60s and 70s. All because four guys with long hair stepped off a plane in New York. That's something. I got thinking about that this week and I thought things were incredibly different when God our Savior stepped out of heaven and into a lowly manger in a little town called Bethlehem. There was no screaming crowds of fans to meet him. There was no Ed Sullivan TV show for him to appear on. Only a few shepherds showed up. And yet, the presence of the Lord 2,000 years ago has changed all of earth's history far, far more than what the Beatles could ever do. And this helps illustrate for us that things change when the Lord makes His presence known. You have your Bible open at Psalm 23? Who wrote Psalm 23? Who can tell me? David, King David. He wrote Psalm 23. And he described the presence of the Lord in his life in Psalm 23. David compared himself to a sheep. He compared the Lord to his shepherd. Some of the most famous words, I guess, in the English language, the Lord is my shepherd. Ah, the presence of the Lord. You know, it's a simple enough phrase, the presence of the Lord, but I'll, I'll wager you this, that most of us don't really gather or understand the magnitude of what's involved and, and what it all means to have the presence of the Lord in our lives now, obviously, it's much too big a subject for one sermon, so I'm going to choose a couple of highlights, and I'm going to share them with you today, and hopefully these will help enrich God's presence in your life today. Before we go any further, let's close our eyes once more and pray and ask God to enlighten us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence here today. Our Lord Jesus told us where two or three are gathered in his name, there is he in the midst. Lord Jesus, we welcome you into your church amongst your people this day. We exalt you in our hearts. Our Father, help us to understand the meaning of the presence of the Lord. Even if all of us just got a little glimpse, as they say, just a lick on on the ice cream cone, just a lick. Give us something today. We pray your blessing, your presence, and for you to be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to be looking at Psalm 23. I'm not going to give you a verse-by-verse, word-by-word commentary. Rather, I'm going to go through Psalm 23, and I'm going to point out some of the highlights. That's what I want to do today. Now, it was written by King David, and King David was a godly man. He loved the Lord. And so, our first main point of the message today 
we begin by asking ourselves, what does the presence of the Lord mean in the life of a godly Christian? What does the presence of the Lord mean in the life of a godly Christian? Psalm 145.18, and you needn't turn there, says, the Lord is nigh, N-I-G-H. That means very, very close. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon Him, to all that call upon Him in truth. Now, what do we mean when we talk about a godly Christian? thought all Christians were godly. Not necessarily. What we mean by a godly Christian is we're referring to a man or woman who, number one, has received Jesus Christ into his or her heart by faith. We're not talking about communion. We're not talking about baptism or baby dedication or any other kind of religious ceremony. We're talking about a man or a woman getting right with God. He or she getting alone with God, so to speak, confessing that they are a lost sinner, asking Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, by the way, asking Jesus to forgive their sins based on his death, burial, and resurrection. He died for our sins on the cross, was buried and rose again. Hallelujah! He's alive today. Asking this same Jesus to forgive our sins, come into our heart to be our Savior. It doesn't get easier than that. Confession, of sin, faith in the Lord Jesus. We're talking about a man or woman who first has done this. They've been born again, but they're also walking daily with the Lord. They're saved. They're on their way to heaven. Praise the Lord. But even more praise to God is they're trying to live their life in such a way as to bring honor and glory to the Lord in all they do and say. They're walking daily with the Lord Jesus. And this means having the presence of the Lord in your life. And believe me, it's a cash cow of blessing. Some who don't understand look upon those who are living their life for the Lord and they're saying, oh, you poor thing. Oh, you deprived thing, you. You don't enjoy any of the joys we have. You don't know any of the the, the good things that, that we have. Listen, nothing could be further from the truth. I I can tell you from personal experience and from the experience of of hundreds of others and from the witness of Scripture that those that walk with the Lord have an incredible life. They have, well, I'm going to get into that, in fact, right now. The first blessing, if you want to write down blessings, blessing number A, we'll give you A, B, C sort of thing, but the first blessing, the first blessing is that He meets our needs We don't have to worry. He meets our needs. Look at Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, read those next words out loud with me, please. I shall not want. That's the job of the shepherd. This is the first of the great blessings I want to bring to you today, is that the presence of the Lord in our lives means that He's going to meet our needs. And listen, that comes in like a flood of joy when things aren't going so well. When you've got full cupboards and a full refrigerator and you've got cash, so much it's falling out of your pockets. You don't need faith. You don't need the Lord. But it's when things go rough and tough and lean and mean and nasty and you start to wonder, what's going on? Am I going to have to declare bankruptcy? What's going on? Am I going to lose it? All is the rug going to be pulled from under my feet? Will there be bread on my table? 
The first blessing, when the Lord is your shepherd, when you're walking with the Lord and you feel His presence in your life, is you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. What a wonderful way to live life. No worries. Do you have any worries right now? You know, don't raise your hand or, or, or indicate anything, but is there anything you're worried about? Is it a, a matter of money? Are you worried about money? Is it a matter of health? Are you worried about your health? Are you worried about loved ones, friends, family, a husband, a wife? Are you worried about your job? Are you, do you have any kind of worries? Maybe something to do with education or career. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to live life with no worries? No worries at all. No worries at all. Boy. The presence of the Lord is our guarantee that He will supply our needs. We don't have to worry where our next meal is coming from. Philippians chapter 4.19 tells us, My God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Jesus Himself said these words, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You and I don't have to live a life of worry and wonder and fear about tomorrow. Because the Lord, the presence of the Lord in our lives is our guarantee that He will meet our needs. All right, I've got a few. I'm going to move on quickly here. Blessing number two, or B, letter B maybe, is the blessing that He gives us joy. Now, you're in Psalm 23. Turn back a couple of pages to Psalm 16. Psalm 16, verse 11. And I'm going to get you to read verse 11 out loud with me. Psalm 16, verse 11. You're there now. Read it out loud with me, please. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. This is the next thing that the Lord gives the, the presence of the Lord is a cash cow of blessings. And here's the second one, is joy. There's too many people in this world that have no joy. You know, they walk around gloomy, gloomy. Their head's down all the time. There's darkness in their face, in their eyes. They have no hope for tomorrow. They just have burdens of today and guilts of yesterday, things they've done wrong. They're constantly beating themselves up and so on. You know, mentally beating themselves up. They have no joy. David wrote this. These are great words. The life of a faithful, obedient Christian is a happy life. In fact, as you and I follow the Lord day by day, the Holy Spirit produces joy within us. And joy is something that God gives. Even if we're going through rough times, just because you and I are living obedient to the Lord doesn't completely make us immune from hard times. It will protect us from a number of difficult things. Absolutely. But there are still a few rough points in life we have to go through. But here is the good news. We can have joy. We don't have to be all glum and depressed and down and melancholy and discouraged and blah, blah, blah. We don't have to go through that because God wants to give us joy. And... I think this, the true test of joy, the test of joy is not in the abundance of things. 
Some people are very happy when they have lots of things. They have a new car or a car that's working real good. They got a nice home. The roof's not leaking. You know, the family's working together good. They've got a good job with a good cash flow. They keep their bills paid and so on. All these things. And they're happy. But it's not the test of joy. The test of joy is what happens when you lose these things. What happens to your joy? If you only have joy when things are going well for you, then I don't think you have joy. Because joy is not a fair-weather friend. Joy doesn't come and be by your side when you're healthy and wealthy and then leave you when you're sick and poor. Joy doesn't do that. The joy that God gives comes and stays. The presence of the Lord guarantees us that joy through good times and through not-so-good times. And so, think about it. If your joy runs out the back door when you start losing things or when things don't go your way, then I'd just like to suggest to you, you need the joy that only the presence of the Lord can give. That can be an indication as to whether you are experiencing the presence of the Lord. Look around for your joy. Hey, I can't seem to find any joy in my life. That's an indication that the presence of the Lord is not with you as much as it ought to be. Because when the presence of the Lord is with you, you'll have this Psalm 16, uh, joy at thy right hand and pleasures evermore. All right, let's move on. Blessing number three, or letter C, is he protects us. This is a nice one. I like this. You see, we don't have to worry. He's going to meet our needs. Um, We don't have to be glum or moody or upset, depressed, whatever. He's going to give us joy. The presence of the Lord will do this. Number three is the presence of the Lord will protect us. Now, you're back in Psalm 23. I'd like you to read verse number four with me. Read it out loud, folks. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Oh boy, I like those words, don't you? That's God's promise of his presence. King David, who wrote Psalm 23, also wrote Psalm 27. I want to read that for you. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. One of the greatest promises of God to his people are these words, yea, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Having a conscience, conscious presence of the Lord in your life will remove fear. You don't have to worry because God is there to protect us. Other people may not protect us. Others may forsake us. But the Lord promises he will never leave us or forsake us. We can walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And not fear. Not fear harm and injury. All right, blessing number four. We're talking the presence of the Lord in our lives. The blessing number four is he gives extra blessings. He gives extra blessings. Now let's look at it here in verse five. 
Read it out loud with me, please. Verse 5. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Hoo-hoo! These are extra blessings that God will give to the obedient Christian man or woman who's walking close in fellowship with God every day. Now we're talking about what does the presence of the Lord mean in the life of a godly Christian. A godly Christian is one who's walking daily with the Lord and seeking to please the Lord in all that he or she does. And God often gives extra blessings to his obedient children. My cup runneth over. David had a son, a famous son. What was the famous son's name? Solomon, right. And Solomon wrote these words. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow to it. On Wednesday nights, we're privileged to have a little movie series uh, done by a godly Christian man. It's called Financial Freedom. And you'll learn all kinds of wonderful, amazing things on uh, things God can do for you and through you and in you with your finances. Come on Wednesday. But this point here, what King Solomon said, the blessing of the Lord that maketh rich and he addeth no sorrow to it. The world will try and make you rich, but you will get sorrows with it. The people that I really feel sorry for are the people who win the lotto. Oh, what are you sorry for them for? They got it made. No, friend, they don't. These people who, they waste good money that could go to pay for food and rent and maybe car payments or put gas in the car or something. They take good money and they're giving it to the lotto industry hand over fist. And most of them will do that all their life. And they'll give thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Some people have gone nuts and have put mortgages on their home just to buy lotto tickets, figuring I have to win, the odds are with me. They haven't won anything. Many people have died because they didn't win. And listen, many people have died because they did win. They were murdered by friends. They were murdered by family members. Every crook, every relative they didn't know they had comes out of the woodwork and won't leave them alone. Their families suffer. The worst thing, I think, is to get thrown five, ten million dollars, a huge dump truck of money, have that dump all over you, and then for the first week to think you got it made. Then reality sets in. A young preacher, he was in his 30s down in the States, and uh, he was scraping to get by and wishes he could do more for the Lord. He was playing the lotto. This is a few years ago. Well, wouldn't you know he won? And he won 30 million. Wow. Well, he thought problems are over. He paid off this person's mortgage, bought a house for this person, bought a car for that person. But within two years, his marriage, his home was destroyed. His wife left him. The money was almost gone. He said, the worst thing I ever did was buy a lotto ticket. And he put a gun to his head and killed himself. Terrible thing. It's right there on the internet if you want to read about it later. Those are sorrows. The world adds, oh, they'll, they'll give you money, but they'll give you sorrows. And a lot of people have come down with physical uh, uh, problems, headaches, ulcers, gray hair. Now, 
I'm not saying that money gives you gray hairs. Other things will give you gray hair. Your kids will give you gray hair. But um, I'm just saying that when you do it the world's way, that's why I want, to, want you to come on Wednesday and learn these things with us. But when you try and get riches the world's way, you're going to get a lot of sorrows with it. But the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow to it. Those are the kind of riches I'd like to have. The kind that don't have strings and sorrows attached to them. And these, these are things God wants to do. God miraculously opens doors in life for his obedient children. Back in 1976, I had been uh, saved about one year. I, I was new in the Lord. And there was this older lady. Well, she really wasn't that old. But, you know, when I was 18 or something, 19, I guess, she seemed old to me. But she may have in either side of 50, which is young. Anyhow, I thought she was old. But she said to me, she told me her life story. And she said, she knew the, the Lord as a, as a little girl. She received Christ as her Savior. She grew up teenage and, you know, in her 20s and so on. And she started working for the city of Ottawa. Well, she stopped living for the Lord. And she was living more for herself and living for her career well, one day she realized this career is not going anywhere. My job is a literally, a literally a dead-end job. There are no promotions. There are no open doors in this job I have with the city of Ottawa. And I think she was married at that time as well. I don't know how things were going on that side of things, but she was telling me the sorrows she had, and she was very unhappy. And the Lord was speaking to her heart saying, well, you know, it's because you've left me. And so, long story short, she got right with God. And she started reading her Bible daily. And she started going to church more often. And she started finding ways to serve the Lord. She started living her life for the Lord. Well, one day, the city of Ottawa came into her office, they were the representative, and sat down and said, we have a new position opening in another department of the city. Would you be interested? Well, she said, yes, thank you. So she took that, that job, and that started opening even more and more possibilities. By the time I met her, she, she was holding down a very responsible, very well-paying job with the city of Ottawa. And she said, it's to the praise and glory of the Lord. That taught me something. You know, as a young Christian... That really spoke to my heart. Man, I, I don't feel called to go and work in the city. I feel called to work for the Lord, but I don't want to end up like a, a dead-end kind of a, a position. I want to have that joy. I want to see God's blessing in my life, in the ministry. That's what I wanted. But in her experience, it told me this. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, so that ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. And that'll only happen when you and I are saved and we're walking close to the Lord. You see what I'm talking about? The extra blessings that he gives. Quickly, I've got to move on to letter E, I guess, is the fifth blessing. And that's maybe obvious, maybe not obvious. But listen, when you have the presence of the Lord in your life as a godly Christian, What's going to happen, what else is going to happen, is others are going to see the presence of the Lord in your life. And that's going to encourage them. 
Others will see it in you. And that'll help draw them. They'll say, I want that for myself. Every time an obedient Christian spends extra time with the Lord, alone in the presence of the Lord, it always shows. People will see it in our eyes. They'll see it in our smile. They'll see it in our calm, happy appearance. Moses would spend long times alone with God up in Mount Sinai, and he would come down the mount. His face was glowing, and people saw this. When you spend time with the Lord, the presence of the Lord is in your life. Others around you are going to see it in you. And that's a blessing. There are so many wonderful things that come into our lives when we walk close with the Lord. Charles Austin Miles was a man born in January 7th, 1868. He grew up to receive the Lord Jesus as his Savior and he went on to become a hymn writer. And he wrote hundreds of hymns, many of which are in our hymn book today. Um, In 1911, that was the year my father was born, in 1911, Charles Miles wrote the hymn Dwelling in Beulah Land. We we love to sing that one. That's a great one. In 1913, he wrote the hymn I Come to the Garden Alone. Remember that one? He wrote it. And in 1908, he wrote another hymn, a real happy hymn, entitled, If Jesus Goes With Me. It goes like this. It may be in the valley where countless dangers hide. It may be in the sunshine that I in peace abide. But this one thing I know, if it be dark or fair, if Jesus is with me, I'll go anywhere. If Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. Tis heaven to me, where'er I may be, if he is there. I count it a privilege here, his cross to bear. If Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. I don't sing it so well, but I sure love the words of that hymn. And we're talking the presence of the Lord in our lives and what it means. But folks, not every Christian is walking close with the Lord. And that brings us to our second main point today. What does the presence of the Lord mean in the life of a careless Christian? We looked at the godly Christian, but what about the careless Christian? Now, what do we mean by careless? We mean a man who is definitely saved, or woman, man or woman, definitely saved, but they have let important spiritual things slip in their life. Important things are not as important anymore. They no longer read the Bible every day like they used to. They no longer pray like they used to. Maybe they do pray, but very little. Their church attendance is pretty much hit and miss. And perhaps they've even gotten involved with some sort of worldly practices. So how do these careless Christians feel when God speaks to their heart? Say, how will God speak to their heart? God will speak to their heart through the preaching. God will speak to their heart sometimes through the testimony of another Christian. God will speak to their heart perhaps from something they've heard off Christian radio or even 
if they open the Bible and start reading it and the Holy Spirit makes a verse jump out at them? God will speak to the hearts of His people. He knows how to speak to His children. But how does a careless Christian feel when God speaks to them? Well, two things. Number one is uneasy. Uneasy. You all remember reading or hearing about the Old Testament story of the prophet Jonah. And Jonah was called of God to go to a city called Nineveh. It was a city of maybe millions of people. And to preach salvation there. But Jonah felt uneasy because he was careless in this area. And he refused to obey the Lord. And in fact, the Bible says that he went out from the presence of the Lord. He tried to escape being around God. Oftentimes, Christians that are not properly living for the Lord feel uneasy when you ask them how their Bible reading is coming along. And what has the Lord taught you lately? They feel uneasy to answer that. You ask them, are you coming to church uh, in the evening service or in our case, maybe the afternoon service? And they feel uneasy about that. So there's this uneasiness about them. Or maybe they know in their hearts they ought to be giving to the Lord's work, but they, they feel uneasy, maybe even upset when the pastor brings up the subject. Parents will, will know this. Sometimes they'll have a misbehaving child, and when the parent walks in the room, the child feels uneasy by the presence of the parent. Do you understand what I'm saying? No? Yes? Yeah, it's probably happened to every single one of us here, hasn't it? You know, where our hand is in the cookie jar and then mom walks in the room. <gasps> Oops. The, the presence of the parent, right? So how does a careless Christian feel when they sense the presence of the Lord? Uneasy. But secondly, sorrow. You know, when the Lord Jesus was arrested, that phony trumped up charges on the trial and so on. Peter followed from afar off. And Peter got there near to where they were cross-examining Jesus with their kangaroo court. And Peter was there warming himself by the fire and a little girl said, hey, you're one of them, aren't you? And what did Peter say? He said, what? I'm trying to help you out here. He said, no, I don't, I don't know him. He denied the Lord. Not once, not twice, but how many times did Peter deny the Lord? Three times. See, I got three fingers. I'm trying to help you out here. Three times he denied the Lord. Have you ever denied the Lord? At work or at school, has a bunch of real rough people been taking the Lord's name in vain and you just kind of stood there? Or maybe they made a horrible joke involving Jesus, dragging Jesus' name in the mud. And you just kind of didn't say anything. Well, in a way, that's like denying the Lord. Listen, if you were there at school or at work and some, some ruffian guys, maybe, gentlemen, how about this? You're there at work and some of, some of the guys at work are, are, are blaspheming the name of your wife and they're saying wicked things about your wife. Gentlemen, would you just kind of stand there and do nothing? Or would you just kind of <laughs> laugh along with them? Or wouldn't you stand up for your wife, your loved one? Or if they were talking about your child that way? 
Well, when they talk about our Lord, it's an opportunity for us to say, time out, guys. You're talking about someone I love. That's my Lord. Oh, they'll laugh at me. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, but I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit is going to stab someone with conviction. Someone is going to get convicted of the truth if we stand up for the Lord. I know, easier said than done. Peter had an opportunity. He failed the Lord. He denied the Lord. He lied three times. And when they took Jesus and led him out toward Pilate, in that moment, somehow Jesus and Peter saw each other. Their eyes, you know, connected. And Jesus looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered, Jesus told me I would deny him three times. And the presence of the Lord in Peter's life right then caused incredible sorrow for Peter. And he wept and ran out in sorrow. Now, truth be told, Peter loved the Lord Jesus and he repented and got his heart right with the Lord soon afterward. King David also experienced uneasiness and sorrow after he sinned with Bathsheba. And when Uriah the prophet finally pointed a bony finger at him and said, David, thou art the man. I mean, it took nine months for David to finally repent and get right with God. David had to acknowledge his sin and ask forgiveness and he was brought back into close fellowship with God. But obviously there are other things um, in the life of a careless Christian. Other things like loss of blessing, frustrations, maybe more sorrows and tears than what there ought to be. But I think we get the idea. All right, we have to move on to our final point today. Now we're talking the presence of the Lord. And how does the presence of the Lord play out in the life of a godly Christian? Well, we've enumerated many blessings. How does the presence of the Lord play out in a careless Christian's life? Well, we've mentioned two things. Anyhow, uneasiness and sorrow. But main point number three. What does the presence of the Lord mean in the life of a non-Christian? A non-Christian. Now first, what do we mean by a non-Christian? Well, we simply mean men and women who do not think they need a Savior, who think that they can do just fine, who don't believe that God would separate them for eternity in a place called hell. Some of these people are atheists. Some of these people are self-righteous religious people. Very religious some of these people are actually very nice people. Sweet, neighborly kind of people. And yet, they haven't woken up yet. They haven't had their eyes open to the need of the Savior Jesus Christ. So what is it like to live without the Lord in your life? Well, I got 18 years of that experience. I think most everyone here also has experience. You've been on both sides of this fence. You've grown up without knowing the Lord. And then at some point in your life you realized, man, I need the Lord. And you received the Lord and now you're living on the other side of the fence. So you've got experience on both sides of this issue. But unsaved people, they don't know what it feels like to have God's closeness. They may understand what religion feels like, but they don't understand what the Lord 
feels like. Do you see the difference? I, I would venture to say that every one of us here, we know about the Prime Minister of Canada. We, we have his picture in our you know, mind's eye. We, you know, if we saw him, we, we'd recognize him. Well, that's the Prime Minister. We know his name. We know about him. But how many of us really know him personally? We could pick up the phone and, and call up his office and, and they'd say, oh, oh, just a minute, I'll put him on. And there you are with the Prime Minister. How many of us really know him? I don't know of anyone here. If you know the Prime Minister that well, I'd like to talk to you after. I'd like you to get him on the cell phone for me. I'd like to say hello myself. Some people say, oh yeah, uh, me and the Pope, wow, we're just like two peas in one pod. They wouldn't know the Pope if they tripped over him. You get a lot of liars. Say, me and God, me and God, we're like two peas in a pod. They're liars. They're living for the world. There's no evidence of Jesus Christ in their life. They have a hunger and lust for things of the world. They've got no appetite for things of God. They don't get in and read their Bible daily. They don't pray earnestly. They don't show themselves faithful in their church attendance. They don't let their light shine and try and help others come to know Christ as Savior. They're liars. There's so many nice people in the world. Well, even nice people don't know what it's like to really know the Lord. And there's a difference between knowing about the Lord and knowing the Lord yourself personally. Very, very important. But as I say, I think just about everyone here today knows what I'm talking about. But unsaved people, they've got nothing to compare it to because all they know is one side of the fence. All they've lived is their life without God. They know about Him. God, are you out there today? Yeah, you probably are. Can you hear me? Can you see me? Here I am, God. And that maybe is sort of how they pray. But many here today could tell you what their life was like before and after they met the Lord. Many today. But what's it like? Well, for some people, living life without the Lord, not being saved, it's like trying to live in the middle of the desert. In the middle of the desert, hot sun, no water. For other people, they bump through life day by day like a blind person, not knowing what the future holds for them and they hope they can get through. For other people, they are worldly successful. They got more money you could shake a stick at. They drown in their wealth, but they also live suspicious of everyone around them. Oh, listen, there's many other descriptions of life as an unsaved pe person. But what do unsaved people feel when on occasion they feel the genuine presence of the Lord? Because it happens. Unsaved people actually can experience a, a sense of closeness with the Lord. And generally that's, that's done, usually that's done when they're around a saved person. But for some, some unsaved people, they feel convicted of their sin. Do you remember our original parents sinned? And what was the first thing they did when God came calling? They took off. They were unsaved. They committed the first sin in earth's history. We are their offspring. We're born in the stuff. We live it, breathe it, drink it, eat it, trade it, you know. Sin is something so common to us. 
But it wasn't in the Garden of Eden with our first parents when God first created them. And make no mistake, we did not evolve from the apes or the chimps or the learned professor in some university or something. No, we were created by God. They committed sin, our first parents. They were scared. They were uneasy. Wow, they took off. When God came, they took off. They felt scared when the presence of the Lord showed up. They didn't want to hang around God. They took off. John chapter 8, the evil Pharisees brought this adulterous woman to Jesus. I think it was a bit of a setup job, but yeah, she did commit adultery. And the law of Moses said she had to be stoned. But by the way, the law of Moses also said the adulterer, the man and the woman, were both supposed to be stoned. Where was the man? It's probably a Pharisee helping set up the situation. My opinion only. But they brought this woman caught in the very act of adultery. I'm sure it was a setup. And they brought her to Jesus. Because they figured, oh, he's a goody two-shoes. He'll say, let her go. Well, then we got him. Because the law says stoner. And we got him. We can expose him for the fraud he is. And so it was a set-up job from the get-go. They brought her to Jesus. What are you going to do about it, Master? And there was Jesus. Do you remember the story in John chapter 8? And he was writing in the ground. We don't know what he was writing. You know, some say he may have been writing the word hypocrite. Serpent, Pharisee. We don't know what he was writing. The Bible doesn't say. But you remember what he did. He stood up and he said to the Pharisees, He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. You remember that? And then what happened? Whoa. It's like the presence of the Lord was there that day. And all of a sudden, these men got all convicted by their own sin. And one by one, they turned and they took off. These were unsaved men. Some unsaved people will never come to a Bible-believing church. They will never read the Bible because of how it makes them feel in their hearts. Let me tell you, 20 years ago, this happened to our church. 20 years ago, we were up on King George, 9061 King George. It's not there anymore, but... That's where our church was for six years. Right outside, there's King George. It was called King George Highway at the time. Now King George Boulevard. Maybe the taxes went up because they changed it from highway to boulevard. I don't know. But it was King George Highway at the time. And up and down King George Highway were these streetwalkers, these prostitutes. And there was one that would stand out right in front of our church, you know, on King George looking for business. Well, we had mixed feelings about that. You know, we hated what she was doing, but we felt so sorry. Our hearts were broken for her because she was involved in this and she was a drug addict. And that 99% of them, okay? They're doing it for the, get the money for the drugs. They don't want to do it, but they're forced to. So anyhow, my wife and I, we went out and talked to her. And we invited her to come in, we had some bit of a food ministry and we said, can you use some food? You know, we want to share this food with you. And she was real hesitant. But she said, okay. She, she came in. She came in the church building. There was no church service going on. And so we had these boxes of food and, you know, we gave her a big bag of food and she was so appreciative. And then we said, can we pray with you before you go? 
And she said, yes. And so the three of us, we bowed our heads, closed our eyes. And it was not an extravagant prayer. It was just a prayer from our hearts that God would speak to her and help her and help her get out of that business and to bless her and meet her needs. And that's how we prayed. And we said, amen, and we opened our eyes. And I'll never forget the look on this woman's face. And I, I don't think I can imitate it. Like, I can't. But it was something like that. It was like shock. And she says, the, the next words came out of her mouth. It was, whoa, that felt real. Those were her words. And my wife and I thought that was a good sign. We thought, hey, this is great. You know, she's, she's felt the presence of the Lord and she likes it. She felt the presence of the Lord all right, but she didn't like it. When she says, whoa, that felt real. What she was telling us is, wow, it felt like you smacked me right in the face. Wow. That woman left. She never came back to our church. Regardless how many times we kept inviting her for food, she never would come back into our church. Well, that taught us a lesson, didn't it? There really are people who when they feel the presence of the Lord, they don't like it. I want out of here. They're gone. They'll never go back to a Bible-believing church. Oh, they could go back to an old crusty church, maybe it has too much stained glass. They don't have the Lord there. They just have religion. They could go into something like that. But you get them around a few Bible-believing Christians and they close their eyes and have a word of prayer and, well, I can't take this. The presence of the Lord. We learned it that day. Well, quickly, I have to finish up here. What does the presence of the Lord mean in the life of a non-Christian? Well, for some unsaved, they feel convicted by their sin, like that prostitute did. But secondly, for all, not just some, but listen to me, folks, for all unsaved people, it means being under Satan's influence. Now, it doesn't sound very good to say that, but it's the truth nonetheless. Unsaved people are living, they're abiding under another master. He's the God of this world, the devil, Satan. God said in Hosea chapter 9, verse 14, Woe also unto them when I depart from them. Imagine that. God says, Woe to them when I depart from them. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, it calls Satan the God of this world. And folks, let's remember, he is the one true enemy. It's not people. They're not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. And Satan is behind every sin. Satan is behind every act of rebellion. Satan is behind every family feud. Satan is behind every world war. And he pulls the strings of unsaved people as if they were puppets doing what he wants them to do. Receiving Jesus Christ in the heart makes us free from Satan's strings. Just a little while ago, we were singing the chorus, I'm so glad Jesus set me free. That's the truth. And that's what happened to me April the 6th, 1975. When I came to know the Lord as my Savior, those strings were cut. 
when a man or woman opens his or her heart to receive Jesus Christ, the presence of the Lord in their life changes everything. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Over in London, England a few years ago, a businessman named Lindsay Clegg told the story of a warehouse building, a property he was trying to sell. And the building had been empty for months and months and needed repairs. Vandals had come and damaged the doors and smashed windows and strewn trash all around the interior. And Lindsay Clegg had brought a customer, a client, to see a prospective buyer to see this place. And as he showed the prospective buyer the property, Clegg said to the, to the man, in fact, he took out pain, took great pains to point out to the man that the windows would be repaired. He would bring a crew in to clean the place and to fix any structural damage. And right then, the prospect turned to Lindsay Clegg and said, forget the repairs, Clegg. When I buy this place, I'm not going to build... He says, when I buy this place, I'm going to build something completely different. I don't want the building. I want the site. That's what happens when Jesus comes into your heart. He's not trying to reform the old nature. He's got something brand new he's going to build on the site. That's why life changes. Life becomes exciting with the presence of Jesus. In 1983, two Christian men got together in a restaurant down in, I think it was Nashville or someplace like that. Phil McHugh and Greg Nelson. So Phil and Greg, these two Christian guys got together. And they sat in the restaurant, they ordered their meal, and they were looking out the window and they are watching all the people go by. Crowds of people go by. Phil said to Greg, people need the Lord, don't they? Hmm, said Greg. And that got the two men thinking about what he just said. And they started a conversation that ended with them writing a hymn, People Need the Lord. Every day they pass me by. I can see it in their eyes. Empty people filled with care, headed who knows where. On they go through private pain, living fear to fear, laughter hides their silent cries. Only Jesus hears. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, He's the open door. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. When will we realize people need the Lord? Maybe there's someone here today that feels they need the Lord. Maybe you're here and you don't know for sure heaven to be your home, God to be your Father. You hope, you wish. But in your heart of hearts, you just don't know. Well, today you can receive Jesus Christ into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. But the choice is yours. God will not force Himself on anyone. The truth is this. Sin has destroyed our lives. Cut us off from God. When we die, we can't go to he heaven because it's a holy place. 
we go to hell because it's the unholy place for all kinds of sinners. The worst of the worst of the worst of the worst and those that have just sinned a little bit. It's all the same in God's eyes. Heaven or hell. That's why God came to earth. His name was Jesus. And He died for you and for me on Calvary's cross. And He paid every sin that we have ever done. Everything we're responsible for, He, did, he paid. He was dead. He was buried. He rose again. He's alive today. And He's knocking on someone's heart door. And if you're here and you don't know for sure, Jesus is your Savior. Today you have that opportunity by faith to repent of your sin and open your heart's door and receive Him into your life to be your Savior. If you will do it, it's up to you. Or you may be saved and maybe you're a little bit careless. You're not living the way you should. Can I encourage you, get back on the bandwagon. Get back to where the blessings are, where the flowers bloom. Get back to where the joy is. Get back close to the Savior's side. Would you bow your head now and close your eyes for prayer? Let's everyone have their head bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.